how do I start? I'm like, hi everyone, this is Minimum Podcast. My name is Grace. I'm gonna oh, say yeah. I'm Linnea. I'm like, <laughs> I literally was Every like, time. what do I say? <laughs> <laughs> this is why I'm here. <laughs> how do I podcast? <laughs> how, do, how do I podcast? Welcome back to the Minute Women Podcast. My name is Grace. And I'm Linnea. Whew, we got through the hardest part of the episode. I know, right? <laughs> That's the tricky part. Saying the same thing we say every episode. And we're back from summer vacation. We are. And we have the most exciting news. <laughs> uh, for those of you who follow along with us on social media, you will have seen that we have brand new artwork. I love it so much. It uh, was in the works for about three months maybe probably yeah yeah behind the scenes we were working on it basically we were like you know what the old logo's cute but mm. like brown eh, not our color not our color grace found this phenomenal haligonian uh, artist sasha steven and she is absolutely phenomenal she totally worked with us to kind of understand like our vision of what we wanted and yeah make it exactly like, there's no part of the artwork that I'm like, oh, I wish that was a little different, but, like, I'll live with it. Like, it's perfect. Like, it's exactly what we wanted. Yeah. We basically were like, we want something with a retro feel. Yeah. I just sent Grace color swatches. Color was, swatches, like, these yeah. colors, please. Which were actually really helpful, and she, yeah. like, integrated all of them. Like She did. Oh, it's phenomenal. And just the the imagery, and it's so cute. It's, it's so cute. So, yeah, she was the easiest person to work with ever like literally like we sent away our ideas and the first draft like i think there were two changes yeah it's so good and i love it so so much it's so good and And i love the colors and it's just like so fun like each image is so special like in itself yeah like each image really helps to describe like our podcast and that's pretty cool yeah the toaster the burnt toast is my favorite little thing I like the toaster. I really love the bonjour. Hello, um, bonjour. <laughs> hello, bonjour, Molly Johnson. Yeah, because I'm one's like, really that's cute. a funny bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everyone should like that. go through the art and like let us know if you know all the references. Yeah. Like, what does each one reference? Because there were even ones that I was like, that's like looks really cool, but I don't get the reference. And I'm like, oh, that's oh, that. the reference. Awesome. Yeah, and not <laughs> all of the references are episodes that we've done. Yeah, no, there's still some we have yet to do. So, so. that's cool. So they can serve as our inspiration exactly. for future episodes. <laughs> exactly. So check that out and uh, more more kind of revamping on our look to come. Yeah. So. We'll have – there's new merch out with the new yep. uh, logo and the new artwork. Yep. So you can go to the Minute Women store if you would like to pick up some new merch with our new artwork. Because we know you would. I'm going to have to grab some. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, like if there's any of the little icons that you want pulled into, like – because I really want – I just want the toaster on a T-shirt. So, yeah. like, I know that one's probably coming. But if there's, like, ones that people would like, mm. let us know. Yeah. I want, like, a little lunch tin almost with, like, all oh, of the things on that's it. that's so cute. <laughs> I love that. I want just, like, either the Canada, like, <laughs> that one or 
or the Molly Johnson or the toast just on a mug. Oh, we should make the Molly Johnson one, but it's like the name tag <gasps> actually goes where it would go on oh, your shirt. Oh, that's funny. Oh. That's funny. Wow, look, creative, creative work happening oh. right here. <laughs> All right. Enough about the merch. Enough about, Enough about us. us. <laughs> um, let's talk about what we're talking about this week because I don't know. And it's so exciting Two because minutes. we – it's kind of been – We've gotten to the have you got a minute since we've been doing those. So obviously I'm not surprised about those. And then the episode that came out, well, that we recorded on my birthday, I had given Grace like three options. So I like True. kind of knew. And then before that was Blue Nose. So I like knew about that. So this is the first time that. You're right. I this, hadn't thought about that. Yeah. This is like our original format. Like I have no idea what we're talking about today. This is and the I'm first time in a while. so excited. Probably like two months. Like eight yeah. weeks anyways. Yeah. I'm so excited. Well, be right. So. Okay. Initially, I picked this one because I thought it was about the Olympics, but it's not. Oh. Uh, so I picked the Paris crew, which is the That's rowing team. not the team. Olympics? It's not the Olympics, right? What? I thought it was at the Olympics, but what? it's not. It's at the International Exposition. So it's before the Olympics even were a thing. Oh, weird. Yeah. I totally thought that was an Olympics one. So. <gasps> oh, I love this one. This is a great heritage minute. It, oh. genu- it gives me chills when I oh, watch it. Oh, 100%. It's a very, like, well directed one so basically yeah. it's this team of rowers from new brunswick yeah. that go and compete in this international in rowing competition they wear so their salmon and brown uniforms and everyone else is like in their fancy like yeah. like country club get-ups yeah um They're and just... basically they just like dominate yeah this like international event and it's one of the first times that canada does really well in an international sport yeah. and it was a really big deal and people love rowing People do. But they do not talk about some weird-ass shit in okay. that heritage minute. We're going to talk about it today. I'm so excited. I'm saying that this episode brings back murder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. There will be murder in this episode. There will be death. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also just want to say, you commented on how well it's directed. Mm. And it really is. There's, there's such a story. Like, a lot of the minutes are a little bit more informational than this one mm-hmm. where this one really doesn't give you a ton of information verbally yeah as it just kind of like shows you and like you see the crowd and you see the rowers and it's it's done very very well yeah, yeah. aka also known as i i thought it was the olympics yeah totally not the olympics it was that good <laughs> So the first known modern rowing races began from competitions among professional watermen in the United Kingdom. That sounds like a British thing. Yeah. Let's move boats fast. Let's move boats fast. Okay. <laughs> um, and, the, and they started because they were providing ferry and taxi services on the ri- River Thames. Oh. So basically like canal guys rowing yeah, people like across. gondola people in, yeah, in italy in italy basically the same thing except a lot less like pasta and romance mm. it's like where are you going <laughs> we don't go there <laughs> <laughs> prizes for wager races were often offered by the london guilds and livery companies or wealthy owners of riverside houses okay. so it's just wealthy people being like put on a dance show for me dance. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> The oldest uh. surviving such race, the Doggett's Coat and Badge. What, British competitions have the stupidest names. Like, uh, the Doggett's Coat and Badge uh. <laughs> was first contested in 1715 and is still held annually from London Bridge to Chelsea. Have you? Did I send you the TikTok video of the guy naming or deciding Olympic sports? No. 
Oh my gosh, I have to send it to you. He's like, so it's it's the same guy. It's like a TikTok where it's the same guy, but it's like it's him, and he's being like, so like, what are we gonna do in the Olympics? And he's like, we're going to run. And then the, the guy's like, oh, that sounds really cool. He's like, one hundred meters. And he's like, how long will that take? Like. 10 seconds maybe nine and then it's like okay what else are we gonna do but then he he's just like saying that and he's like horses and he's like horses this is for people and he's like no we'll put someone on the horse to go along for the ride it's so funny but it's like that it's the olympics are weird do sport for me do sport for me do the sport i'll send it to you it's funny i might actually post it on our our instagram Instagram. because it's so funny we have to start to make a list of these things because I've listened back to episodes and I'm like, yeah, we never shared that. With we anybody. never did that. <laughs> uh, we're bad. <laughs> so during the 19th century, there became more and more of these races, super popular, attracted very large crowds. Prize matches amongst professionals similarly became popular on other rivers throughout Great Britain in the 19th century, uh, notably the Tyne River. Okay. In America, the earliest known race dates back to 1756 in New York. Yeah. When a petty auger defeated a Cape Cod whaleboat in a race. Huh. Also, we're doing okay. boat races again. Yeah. Very shortly after doing the Blue Nose. That's okay. Oops. That's fine. It's not the same. It's not the same. <laughs> it's different kinds of boats, yeah. guys. Amateur competition in England began towards the end of the 18th century. Documentary evidence from this period is sparse, but it is known that the Monarch Boat Club of Eton College and the Isis Club of Westminster School were both in existence in the 1790s. The Star Club and the Aero Club in London for Gentlemen Amateurs were also in existence before 1800. At the University of Oxford, bumping races were first organized in 1815 when the Brazenose College and Jesus College boat clubs. <laughs> Jesus College, Grace. <laughs> it's probably pronounced Jesus. Yeah, that's, that's British. <laughs> that's so British. <laughs> uh, they had their first annual races while Cambridge the fr- had their first recorded races in 1827. I have a cousin who rode for Cambridge. That's cool. Yeah, she was very good. There was a girl from Bridgewater who rode for uh, Harvard, Hmm. which I thought was cool. Big deal. Well, she also didn't row before she went there. Oh. She was a big softball player, and she got there, and she was like, oh, I could probably do that. We have a friend from curling who rode very, very highly competitively, and then her body broke. Yep. Now she broke it. (laughs) She's working. Hi, Haley. She plays on your softball team. She does. Yeah. And she she curls with me. She's great. She's great. (laughs) She's not broken. Basically, what all of this is trying to say is that rowing was like the most white collar sport imaginable. I thought you were just going to stop at white. And I was going to be like, I agree. Also that. Okay. It's just like bougie rich white guys rowing for their schools and country clubs. Like. It's it's not a very accessible sport. It's not expected that like lower class people are going to be able to participate. It also it's not gives like you big arms. It gives you big arms. Um, yeah, it's not like baseball or something or cricket. No, where it would be far more accessible to a lot of people. Yeah, this is for like the rich people. I'd be the little person, the coxswain or whatever, in the front of the boat. I don't even know the positions. So it's I the mean, little tiny it's... person who yells at them because they have to be small. So all the other rowers are like tall, and then it's a little small person. Haley was like, you'd be a good coxswain. And I was like, thank you. Because you just sit in the front and you're like, row, row, harder. I wonder, like, when that, because this race is for people, 
Yeah. So I don't think they have a coxswain. But when the boats no. get longer, they do. Yeah. I wonder when those started coming about. I which I just imagined as a man who's like, more. Yeah. More. And then they realize, oh, shoot, they can't see where they're going. So they need a person <laughs> in the front to be facing <laughs> the other like way to be like, you're into, good. Into like bridges <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, so basically, no one expected that four guys from the woods of New Brunswick were going to come out and be like some of the best rowers in the world. And let me tell you, there's a lot of woods in New Brunswick. And there's a lot of woods in New Brunswick <laughs> and rivers. And rivers. So yeah. match made in heaven. And liquor stores. <laughs> Maybe not then. But <laughs> Linnea is just thinking about her drive to PEI that she has to do after this. Yeah. And all the liquor stores she will pass. Yeah. <laughs> In the 19th century, the economy of St. John, New Brunswick, located on the beautiful Bay of Fundy, beautiful, was dependent on water-based industries such as fishing, shipbuilding, and shipping. Mm-hmm. The ocean provided not only a means of living, but also opportunities for recreation. Water sports were popular pastimes, <laughs> rowing in particular, and participants employed their strength, knowledge of the water, and skills in boat design in local competitions. Hmm. Winners of local rivalries typically moved on to compete against teams elsewhere in the region. For example, in 1856, a St. John crew won a race in Massachusetts against a New York team. So they're like, it's not uncommon for you to like go travel to compete, but it's pretty regional. In the mid-1860s, Robert Fulton, Samuel Hutton, George Price, and Elijah Ross began racing together. The team was built of three fishermen, uh, and then the exception is Elijah Ross, who was a lighthouse keeper. Oh. <laughs> He's like, I've always wanted to be in one of those things. <laughs> he just started rowing because he got he needed to leave. He needed to get to he the mainland. To get the fuck out. <laughs> During this period, rowing at an elite level was classist and a club sport prestigious sports clubs sponsored teams and they weren't worried about some bumpkins upstarts from new brunswick right but together they achieved local success defeating other notable city teams throughout the 1860s yeah Uh, the montreal gazette later declared from their childhood up they had been almost more at home on water than on land oh (laughs) what a stupid way of saying that is people from the past talk down (laughs) And I realize that that didn't sound particularly intelligent, but People from the past talk stupid. <laughs> I also love this Montreal Gazette article, okay, because they then go on to basically give you like a dating profile of every uh, single one of them. The Montreal Gazette is also the one who coined Jackie Robinson yep. the uh, oh, what they call the comet, the, the like black comet or something. No, it was it was maybe worse than that. <laughs> it was worse than. It, because it was like, ooh, it was like you tried so hard. What was that? Maybe it was the black comet. It no. was just like we want to call you the comet, <gasps> the black comet. Yeah, no. something like that. It was like, oh, cool so nickname, close. and then it was like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Montreal Gazette. So they give dating profiles of each guy, sort of. Okay. So this is what they write. Okay. <laughs> Robert Fulton, uh-huh. the stroke. Is 25 years of age, stands 6 foot 1 inches, and weighs 168 pounds. Nice. His complexion is a swarthy brown, (laughs) and his face bears the impress of indomitable energy and pluck. Oh my god. His shoulders are broad, and chest is well developed, and loins spare. (laughs) In fact, he is in every way beautifully proportioned, (laughs) and would make a capital capital model for a sculptor. Oh! god (laughs) that's just one of them another one 
Elijah Ross, the number three, uh-huh. is five foot eleven inches in height and weighs one hundred and fifty eight pounds and is twenty five years of age. Mm-hmm. He too is of dark complexion uh-huh. and is a decidedly handsome man. Uh-huh. His muscular development is immense uh-huh. and his whole appearance is that of a well trained athlete. Oh my god. <laughs> Samuel Hutton, uh-huh. who pulls number two or is of dark complexion okay. and has dark brown hair. He they're is, just tan. I know. They're just Acadian, probably. They're, yeah, they're like Acadian <laughs> tan. Bo- like, they're boys who just get super tan in the summer when they're rowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is compactly made and possesses <laughs> a very considerable development of chest and shoulders. Oh, my and God. And exhibits a very appearance of great strength. From his countenance, we should judge him to possess a more nervous energy than any of his comrades. So he's like the nervous South boy, I okay. guess. <laughs> and that he is not one of the slow, dogged kind, but rather given to going at things with a viewing to finishing them in a hurry. In he is twenty five years of age, stands five foot ten, and weighs one hundred and fifty eight pounds. Oh my god. George Price, uh-huh. Bo Orr, is the veteran of the crew, being 30 years of age. Wow, old. Old man. <laughs> His height is 5 foot 10 inches, and he weighs 154 pounds. His expression of countenance is stern and indicates a dogged perseverance. Okay. Unlike the rest of the crew, he is his complexion is light, and notwithstanding long exposure to the sun, <laughs> his skin retains its natural color. <laughs> I don't know. What does that mean? I don't know. I love the Montreal Gazette. That's my oh favorite my newspaper. This is literally is that is that was that the rest of yeah, him? That's because it. I'm like this guy feverishly writing in these is like I think I might be gay. <laughs> <laughs> this Montreal Gazette writer was like writing about these men and then he's like, wait a second. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> It's also like his editor is like blacking out a bunch of shit. Like, what the hell is this yeah. article? It's like <laughs> when he turns around, he's got a great can. He's got a great <laughs> like, how do you describe a butt in the nineteen what or the eighteen whatever that his was? His bottom is voluptuous, robust, <laughs> robust. Yeah, absolutely, like a Christmas ham. <laughs> And he's like, I'm getting rid of that. The editor's like, cut that out. He's like, mon dieu. (laughs) Just like, no, no, no. (laughs) So New Brunswick residents were so confident in their team's strength that they raised $4,000 with an additional $2,000 provided by the provincial government for the team to travel to Paris. That's big bucks back then. Yeah. So like, it's basically the town just getting together and like pulling money together. And so they're going to Paris to compete in the International Regatta, which is part of Exposition 1867, which I'm pretty sure is what leads to the building of the Eiffel Tower. Oh. So the Eiffel Tower was, like, our Expo 67 in Montreal. Yep. The Paris one, their, like, permanent structure from it was the Eiffel Tower. Cool. Yeah. Super cool. But they also had a boat race. Um, and the rowing champions uh, championships were held on the 8th of July, 1867, mere days after Confederation. So big deal. This is like Canada oh. competing as Canada for like the first time. That is crazy. Yeah. 
Competing against well-known European teams, the New Brunswick crew were considered quaint because of their differences in their rowing style, their boat construction, and their uniforms. Yeah. A correspondent from the Manchester Guardian remarked, Among the strange-looking people whom this regatta has brought together, (laughs) not the least strange were a certain crew of four sturdy New Brunswickers, who, having beaten everything in their own waters, had brought two homemade boats some thousands of miles to show the rest of the world how to row. With their flesh-colored jerseys, dark cloth trousers, leather braces, and bright pink caps, they were in striking contrast to their neat competitors. The caps were awesome. That would be a great Halloween costume. What a niche, like, group costume for people to do. Because it's not hard. You just need, like, the right color clothes. Oh, that's super cool. Despite the New Brunswick crew's unorthodox appearance, the team won both its races, prompting the reporter to quip that their performance, quote, should make either English oarsmen or English boat builders uh, reconsider the first principles of their arts. Ooh. They won handedly, according to Fulton, who even had time to wave his hat at the spectators as they rode by. Yeah, they do that in a minute, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Their victory was completely unexpected. The Canadian team's success shocked European rowers and fans alike. Reflecting in 1905 on their achievements at the Paris Expo, Fulton stated the gold medals were something we prized more than money. But these gold medals, as featured (laughs) in the Heritage Minute, is only the beginning because it only gets wilder from here. I was going to say, where's the murder? (laughs) Like, you promised me murder. Oh, dear listeners, I have promised murder and I shall provide. (laughs) Um... So Fulton, Hutton, Price, and Ross received a hero's welcome upon their return to New Brunswick, and they were nicknamed the Paris Crew after the sight of their triumph. Their next major challenge was in October of 1868 when they faced the Ward Brothers, a team of talented American siblings in Springfield, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. The St. John team triumphed again to the delight of its supporters, many of whom had placed significant bets on the team's (laughs) success. The whole economy of New Brunswick would have been shook. <laughs> was resting on the shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Having previously beaten Europe's best, the victory over the Ward brothers, who had not participated in the Paris Expo, cemented the Paris's crew's reputation as the champions of both sides of the Atlantic. Their success continued as the crew won its races in uh, Lacken, wherever know. that is, Toronto, Niagara, um, and other places during the summer of 1869. So they're just killing it. Killing it. So in the autumn of 1870, the Paris crew faced the Tyne crew, an English team from Newcastle upon Tyne, led by James Renford. Um, Renforth, sorry. The race hosted in Lacan, Quebec, was billed by the Montreal Daily Witness as a match between... Cha- uh, champions crews of the old and new worlds Ooh. <laughs> who's who's the old world uh newcastle yeah okay <laughs> it's europe uh, okay <laughs> they're so old wow <laughs> <laughs> the victoria daily standard predicted a challenging race for the canadian team advising that roman of such caliber have not yet been pitted against the paris crew whose easy victories over lesser stars must be dismissed from our minds when estimating their challenges of success at lacken mm. so basically they're like you ain't never seen a team like this before yeah in addition to the strength of the opposing team the canadian team faced difficult weather conditions 
The St. John Daily Evening News reported that although the world and his wife went quickly to the race, and at least 55,000 souls must have been present, the beginning of the race was delayed by the Paris crew's reluctance to row in windy conditions. So they're like, we're not going to put ourselves in a bad position to to lose, so we're going to wait for the wind to die down. Because that happens. Yeah. You know, it's not always windy. Yeah, and also, I mean, you were just telling me this morning that, like, you know someone who raced in the olympics in oh, sailing yeah. and they're like it got delayed four times because of weather conditions oh yeah like they were there well after the closing ceremonies trying to get this race in because of weather yeah, yeah. because it is dangerous and that's the thing like they mm-hmm. wouldn't have canceled it like rain they're not going to cancel it but it was like because the last summer olympics were rio rio and it was like tsunami like weather oh like they were like oh like you'll die so i was like oh <laughs> I know it's the Olympics, but I'd rather live. (laughs) Yeah. If that's cool. I don't care that much. Yeah. (laughs) Unlike the Newcastle boat, which had barriers to prevent water splashing into the shell, the Canadian boat was more vulnerable to waves. And therefore, the Paris crew lost the race with differences in boat construction and rowing styles likely aiding the Newcastle team. So Mm. the Newcastle team is like better gear, like Mm. whatever. And it's probably a a part of the reason they won. I'm sure they're a great team also, but whatever. The loss was such a shock that, quote, many of the St. John followers of the crew had to send home for money enough to bring them back. They had backed their favorites to finish first. So Uh. (laughs) they like the economy of New Brunswick was shook. They couldn't go home. Despite the loss, the citizens of St. John received the Paris crew warmly upon their return to the city. A rematch was scheduled for the 23rd of August, 1971, on the Kennebecasis River in New Brunswick. Ren Forth, so he was, he's the leader of the other team, yes. was the only member of the 1871 tying crew who had competed in the 1870 race, but oh. this did not diminish anyone's interest. So it's basically a new team, right? but Ren Forth is still there. Anticipation for the race was high. The Montreal Daily Witness described how the owner of a cottage overlooking the river let out his six front windows for $10 and charged 10 cents for people to stand on the front lawn. Oh, that's so funny. So he's like, you can come in and watch through the window for $10 or you can stand on my lawn for 10 cents. When we used to be able to have live shows in Halifax Mm. before, you know, COVID, um, there'd always be a show on the commons. Yeah. And the people in the North End would rent out their driveways for parking for, like, (laughs) cash, like, good money. Like, you'd be like, $30, you can park in my driveway for the show. Um, Yeah, they'd have, like, I remember little kids would, like, sit outside on, like, lemonade stand things and be like, give me your money for my mummy. (laughs) The St. John people, old and young, rich and poor, were prolific in their displays of pink ribbons the Paris crew colors. Um, rarely to be seen, the noble dark blue of the Englishmen. Mm. So just Nobody like... likes those boys. <laughs> the same newspaper estimated that the number of spectators had reached about 20,000 by 7 a.m. and were every minute being added by the hundreds. That's insane. Who cares? Where are those people coming from? I don't know. These I... are like the woods people of New Brunswick. <laughs> just like... emerging. <laughs> I've been I've been underground for 14 years. <laughs> this podcast truly deserves a video content because I will say that we communicate a lot through body language. We do. It's a problem. I just okay, for um what is that called? Like visual visual aid. 
Linnea just <laughs> just put her hands out to her sides like Aragog the spider from Harry <laughs> Potter and crawled towards Grace <laughs> in the air. Exactly. <laughs> the race began at approximately half past seven in the morning. The two teams were close for the first three-quarter mile of the six-mile course, at which point the Newcastle team attempted a burst of speed to overtake the Paris crew. Renforth fell backward into the arms of his teammate, Henry Kelly, prompting the Newcastle team to row to shore. Amidst the general confusion, the Paris crew completed the course. Okay. I was going to ask how long these races were. This one's about six miles. Okay, cool. Which was long. Some onlookers suspected that the Newcastle team had been bribed to deliberately lose, while others questioned whether Renforth had been poisoned. What? People are like, someone's trying to kill Renforth. (laughs) Because New Brunswick wants their team to win so bad. Oh my gosh. Conspiracy. He was taken to the team's temporary residence and died shortly (gasps) after nine in the morning. No. Yeah. The only guy from the previous crew. The only original guy. He fucking died. Oh my (laughs) god. So on one hand, you're like, did someone poison him? Is there a conspiracy to like get Renforth out? Yeah. Was the Paris team just, like, so strong that, like, when they tried their burst of speed, like, it killed the guy? Like, today historians suspect that he suffered a heart attack. Oh, okay, cool. Because they're, like, doing this burst of speed, and then suddenly right. he, like, collapses. So, like, the overexertion. Um, and he also, appar- I guess he apparently had epilepsy. So there were, like, complications uh, related to epilepsy okay. involved. Um, but news of Renforth's death was received abroad with shock. On the 19th anniversary of his death, <laughs> Australian newspaper, the Sydney Mail, observed the death of England's acknowledged best man. No one seems to have filled his place, either as regards to skill, strength, or stamina. Okay. Not, not per- like, personality, no, though. No, 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 no. he was a dick. Yeah, he was a jerk, but <laughs> he was a powerhouse. Fundraisers were held in the Maritimes for Renforth's wife. Oh, and that's nice. Yeah. Good old Maritimers. And the name of the race location was changed from the chalet to the Renforth in his honor, which is weird. That is weird. If I die in a location, don't name that spot after me. I won't. <laughs> Thank you. I won't. I'll be like... <laughs> she wouldn't have wanted this. She wouldn't. That, that's not her. <laughs> in 1998, Renforth was amalgamated with several communities to create the town of Rothsay. Oh, um, Cool where today James Renforth is memorialized by the James Renforth Drive and Renforth Rotary Park. So there's still, like, commemorations to him in that area today, even though Renforth is the place is people no People felt a lot of guilt. Yeah, <laughs> people feel really bad. So maybe they did poison him because they're like, shit, we feel really bad about this. Yeah. Or they're like, we did it. <laughs> yeah, victory. Yeah. Or they're like, oh, we didn't mean to kill him. We just wanted him to, like be sick (laughs) whoops and then on top of that the town also has a sculpture dedicated to the 1871 race and the paris crew so like they are commemorating the team that beat them because he died in that race (laughs) the fatal race of 1871 as the term the, the term that the press coined to refer to it. Of course. Uh, marked the beginning of the end of the Paris crew's high-profile career. Okay. The team won another regatta in 1873 on the Kennebecasis River, but in 1875, tension arose between Hutton and the other members over ownership of the team boat. <laughs> it's like, I own the boat. No, you don't. Boys. Boys. It's useless if you're not all in it. 
Yeah. So who cares? Right? Fulton, Hutton, Price, and Ross raced together for the last time in 1876 in the American Centennial Regatta in Philadelphia, where they were badly beaten by a raw crew of Halifax fishermen. Well, you know. You win some, you lose some. Props to Nova Scotia. (laughs) At the same regatta, Torontonian Edward Hanelin was victorious in another category, heralding a new generation of talented Canadian rowers and a shift in the popularity from the four-person boats to one-person skulls. So, I mean, they just come come and go with popularity, but one-person rowing was now super cool. Yeah. Samuel Hutton passed away at the age of 50 in August of 1894 when the yacht on which he was sailing, the Primrose, capsized during a regatta. Another death. (laughs) This this episode is full of murder. (laughs) Maybe. Possible murder. Potential murder. Robert Someone really wanted the boat. So, yeah. <laughs> it all comes down to the boat. Yeah. Robert Fulton competed successfully in individual sculling races oh. until 1874. Cool. Following his retirement from competitive rowing, he remained active in water sports, sailing, and refereeing regattas. Cool. According to the St. John Daily Sun, in 1875, he was appointed a boatman and tide waiter in the customs service and was ever a good official. <laughs> Fulton passed away in February of 1906 at the age of 61 and was buried in the same cemetery as Samuel Hutton. Mm. The St. John Daily Sun described Fulton's funeral as, quote, one of the largest attended in St. John for years. Aww. In his final years, George Price worked as a customs official as well, like Fulton. Uh, he died in March of 1909. And Elijah Ross became a well-respected boat builder. Oh, cool. He was the last living member of the team. Uh, Ross sold the Paris cruise boat in 1909 and rowed it across the harbor a final time to deliver it to its new owner, a syndicate of St. John residents, because he reportedly wished, according to the St. John Sun, for the boat to remain in the city. Um, Ross died in November of 1920. Hmm. The Paris crew was notable not only for its athletic triumphs, but also for the excitement and pride its members sparked in the recently established country of Canada. Mm -hmm. In 1881, the Toronto Daily Mail argued that the expo in Paris marked, quote, the first occasion on which Canada had distinguished herself abroad with the oar, and the victories were hailed with enthusiasm from one end of the newly created dominion to the other. Prior to the crew's first race against Newcastle in 1870, the Toronto Globe reported, Perhaps since Confederation, nothing has occurred which so thoroughly brings home to the broad masses of our people that our bold maritime friends are now our fellow countrymen in name and fact. It is a glorious responsibility that it is upon the Paris crew to be the first to uphold the strength, skill, pluck, and honor of our country's athletes. This was a young nation before the First World War, before its landmark symbols of nationalism had been established. And for unity and nationhood, they turned to four plucky rowers from St. John, New Brunswick. The Paris crew established a legacy of rowing, a sport we still dominate on the international stage. Currently at the Olympics. Yeah. um, We already have medals in, in rowing. And, yeah, the Paris crew is in, like, the St. John Hall of, like, Sports Hall of Fame. They're in the Canadian Sports Hall of Fame. So, yeah, cool guys. And murder. Yeah, Canada's 10th medal in this current Olympics was actually for the double skulls. 
Oh, okay. So women's. empowering women's, yeah. Nice. Which is cool. We're still good at that. A lot of them come from Dartmouth, like oh where we yeah, are, the, the um, Lake Bannock Club Lake is very Club. prestigious and prominent. Yeah, uh, a past professor I had at Acadia, uh, Ann Dodge. She is a, was an Olympic rower from from Lake Lake Bannock Club. Interesting. Uh, yeah, her husband actually is the coach of the women's softball team that just won bronze. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, which is super cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I did this one thinking it was about the Olympics. But it wasn't. It, it wasn't, but, you know, s- same vibe. It was still a good. vibe. This, when you said off the top that this minute, like, gives you chills, like, 100%. Like, it's yeah. such a, ugh. It's a good one, and I think it's one people don't, like, remember very often. No. It's no, but it's a good one. It's not what I would think one. of off the top of my head, yeah. but, like, it is a yeah. really good heritage minute. It's similar to the, and now that I think about it, I wonder if that's why the, blue nose one is in black and white for some reason because in a lot of ways they're very similar it's like showing like obviously the boats are different but it's like crowd and then water and then boats racing i think that is possible it's it's cut very similarly so i'm wondering if they just made it black and white to be like to make it different so you know that it's different yeah and that it's yeah older i guess it's not though the paris crew is older than the blue nose yeah Yeah. blue nose was like 1920s yeah yeah but anyways, yeah, that's the Paris crew. It was a really fun one to do. I, I, love, I love sports. Loved it. I love sports. We're kind of like getting sparse on some sports ones. I I'm hoping they make some new sports ones yeah. soon. They made the Asai one. Yeah. Uh, which is the Japanese baseball team, yeah, we'll which we'll have, have to, to do, do at some one. point. But I wonder if they'll ever do one for like the Vancouver Olympics or something. Not until people die. Yeah, it'll be a no, long and not time. like and I'm not saying like murder. I'm just saying like <laughs> a lot of heritage minutes don't come out until after that the person or the people in the minutes have, have passed, passed away. away. Yeah. And yeah, the only reason I can think of that is so they don't they haven't done anything scandalous. Like yeah. once they're dead, you know that they're not gonna like do something super yeah. scandalous. Like they're gonna have th- there will be one for like I'm surprised actually they haven't done one for Wayne Gretzky's dad yet. Oh, I know. Cuz I feel like Either yeah. Wayne will get one. I feel like it would be combined. Like it would be both of them. It would be like a father son bit. It would yeah. be like it would be like a Tim Hortons commercial when like yeah. the dad takes the kid to hockey. Like the and then it's like oh and then he's taking his kid to hockey. Yeah. yeah. No, that'll definitely come. I think there'll eventually be a minute for David Sally and or David Pelche and Jamie Sally. David Sally and Jamie Pelche potentially the uh, the skaters who were robbed Rigged. the olympic yeah. the olympic the russian judge scandal yeah. of the 2000 winter olympics 2002 2002 salt six? lake city 2002, 2002 or think. 1998 one of them anyway of them. the salt lake city olympics <laughs> where they won obviously came first and then lost um and there was a big scandal and then they eventually got awarded the, the gold, gold medals. medals yeah but yeah in a long time tessa and scott yeah and it'll we start met. when they're little oh my god we well i don't think we've ever told that story on the podcast have we i don't know that we have because that is like so someday <laughs> someday we will tell it it's yeah just, it'll have to be a have you got a minute someday but it it's basically be. the story of how Linnea and i became it's our friends. origin story it's our origin <laughs> and story it involves tessa virtue scott Moore, and patrick chan Jan, and then four <laughs> olympic scottish curlers yeah yeah <laughs> yeah a story for another yeah. time, dear listeners. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Men and Women podcast. This was so fun. So happy to be surprised and shocked and to hear about murder in Canadian history. Uh, maybe not murder. We don't know. We don't know for sure. Uh, again, please check out our awesome new artwork and let us know what you think. Let yeah. us know, like Grace said, uh, check out and see if you understand all the references. Let us know which one is your favorite little image. Uh, Sasha did. A phenomenal job yeah and definitely go follow her on instagram she's oh, for sure. at sasha steven which is s-a-c-h-a and then s-t-e-p-h-e-n yes um she's awesome and her artwork is just like so like cool it's like retro cartoon yeah like, like i wasn't sure what we were it. gonna get looking at her like instagram timeline mm-hmm. but i absolutely love her artwork yeah so. and if you're looking for artwork she's like so easy to work with yeah like a hundred percent recommend anybody go work with her and yeah yeah she's amazing and if you haven't gotten enough of the minute women you can go check out our website minutewomenpodcast.ca it's recently been revamped to match our new artwork and on there you can find our social media links we're minute women podcast on basically all social media except twitter which is at the minute women but yeah you can find a link to our merch store we put out new episodes every wednesday and you can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms so until next week have a good one bye bye match was scheduled for the 23rd of August 1971 on the Kennebasis. Yeah. Is that how you say it? That's a, yeah. Kennebasis. Kennebec. Uh, I'm trying to find the pronunciation. Okay, here we go. Kennebasis. 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 On the fuck.